0: Welcome to a brand new episode of York Hospital Ball. First of all, apologies, it's been, I think, over six months now since we've last released any content. I'll be making up for that, there's lots and lots of episodes coming your way, brand new series to come, series 11, I'll talk more about that at the end of this episode. And this is an interview with uh, York City supporter and author, George Mallet, who wrote the book Potter Hot Cut and a Desk in East London, which has got lots and lots of references to York City and and um, hopefully you'll enjoy the interview and uh, you'll you'll seek out George's book Um, but yes I'll speak to the end of this episode where I'll talk more about the new content coming your way but in the meantime please enjoy George Mallet Okay so George thank you so much for joining us on Hospital Ball your, your book Potter Hop, Cut and a Desk in East London was my kind of book of choice in Spain this summer and whilst it's clearly about the rise of Swedish side Ostersunds I, I mean I hope I'm pronouncing that right you can correct me if I'm wrong uh, the wider context is that you're a, a York City supporter and there's some really nice passages early on in the book about Booth and Crescent and your kind of memories so so tell us about your sort of first experiences of going to watch York
1: Yeah my first experiences are probably like anyone I went, went with my dad and I think the first game was in 2001 it was kind of mentioned in the book it was exeter against york i don't know if i mean these games all sort of mold into one but yeah we lost 3-0 and i always remember it as steve Flett getting a hat trick but i've since when writing this book looked at he only scored twice but in my head it was imprinted that he scored a hat trick i was sitting in the you know the the, the smarties room by the smarties room. So in the corner, in my head, he ran over directly to me and starts screaming in my face. Celebrate, yeah. So not the happiest starts, but probably the best prep for being a York fan. So yes, yeah, saw that and then steadily just sort of came back every Saturday and. I would say results improved but you'll know they probably didn't.
0: No they didn't and it's interesting that I'm, I'm always really interested by people's first games because mine was a 4-0 win and I sort of think I was hoodwinked really because we got promotion at Wembley that season and that was in 1992, 93. and so I'm really interested that but yours was a 3-0 defeat and you, you kind of kept coming and I remember that Exeter game I, I remember thinking that Terry Dolan was definitely going to be sacked following week but he wasn't and he, he kind of steadied the ship really and, and kind of did what Terry Dolan did and, and kind of always sort of seem to get us perform in the second half of the season. There's also a fair amount in your book about your sort of early York City hero, Michael Proctor, a striker we had on loan from Sunderland. What what was it about Proctor that you really liked?
1: Yeah, it's weird actually. So I do a, I work in football doing, I did do documentaries so I actually worked on a documentary with Sunderland and ended up going up and meeting Michael Proctor kind of accidentally and I didn't want to tell him that uh, you know I've written a bit of a book about him because it makes you sound like you're a bit of a stalker but yeah Michael Michael Proctor was sort of like in that early 2000s we didn't really have a have a goal scorer I think we had Peter Duffield what was the other ones is it Colin Alside yes we, we, yeah, yeah. we didn't really have a striker that, Lee Nogan of course but they were all sort of like knocking in maybe six or seven goals a season so looking back Michael Proctor sort of came along And for me, he was just like exciting. I think he didn't do anything flashy, but as a York fan, you kind of, well, for me, it's like those first memories of something good. And yeah, I remember him just always scoring. He never scored flashy goals. It was always just straight along the ground into the corner. And then I think we kind of lived off those strikers. You know, as a fan growing up young, you always kind of live off these exciting goal scorers. So it was obviously Proctor first, and then it came Andy Bishop, probably Craig Farrell, flattered to deceive at points and then yeah, probably Clayton Donaldson was probably one of my favourites growing up. But yeah, all those all those York players kind of get probably too much of a mention in a book which is meant to be about I'm not exactly an authority to pronounce it properly, but I think Urstersons is how they pronounce it. But yeah, so Potter was um in that first game for York against Exeter, Potter was that the left back who obviously didn't play that well because we lost 3-0, uh, didn't we?
0: The next point I was going to come on to was Graham Potter. Because I think you you had a lot fonder memory of Graham Potter as a player than I did. And I, I, it got me thinking, like, why, why was that? Because, and I was, I was sort of drawn to the point that we I grew up with Wayne Hall at left back, who was obviously the ultimate kind of cult hero for York. And I almost saw Potter as a bit of a sort of steady away fullback, a bit underwhelming maybe. And then, of course, he signed for Macclesfield, who helped sort of send us down. So I don't know whether that was maybe what clouded my judgment, but you clearly thought he was a good player.
1: Yeah, to be honest, I, when I was watching him, I was seven, so I probably wasn't the best authority on good footballers. I just know that I was left footed, he was left footed. Uh, He had that big blonde mop and I was probably sporting one of my own at the time. And yeah, it's weird because I reckon in any other era, he would have just been an, an anonymous left back. But he just happened to sort of run down the wing next to where I was looking all the time. And I think probably a bit of it was just the fact that his name was quite like Harry Potter. I reckon I probably gave him way too much of a benefit of the doubt at the time.
0: He was a wing wizard. I mean it was such a weird time to start following York as well, you know again sort of thinking about that, that time period that was when sort of all the John Batchelor stuff was going on and I always felt like and I've made this point to a few, quite a few of my sort of friends over the years, I, I think it took a while to sort of work out that John Bachelor wasn't really who we thought he was mainly because we were doing quite well on the pitch at the time, so like, likes of uh, Michael Proctor was scoring goals and, and I think when you're doing alright on the pitch it sort of, it takes you away from what might be going on off the pitch, I don't know if you sort of think, think that but again you might might have been too young to to realize what was going on
1: yeah i probably didn't realize as much sort of at the time but sort of going back into it because obviously i kind of write about it at the start of the book in terms of you know you grow to love a football team and then without realizing it it almost disappears know it there's kind of a bit of an ode to bury sort of pretty early on but yeah i mean going back just looking through all the sort of news stories at the time and seeing, you know, I think there was a rumour at the time when John Bachelor came in that he was related to Bachelor's Soup. And then the reality was that he um, owned a pretty unsuccessful racing team. But yeah, that whole era, even as like a seven, eight-year-old, I could tell that it was bizarre that we'd suddenly become York City Soccer Club. We had racing stripes on our shoulders. And yeah, the the on-pitch action, I suppose that wasn't actually as bad as it got, but it wasn't very good at the same time, was it?
0: No, you didn't mention when you, in the strikers that you said you aspired to when you were growing up with, with Rogeria, the Brazilian striker.
1: Yeah, he does get a mention in the book though, I think, because, yeah, that bizarre time. can't remember, the, was it Mazzina, the, Nicolas Mazzina? Was That's the other right, time. yeah, Argentinian. Yeah. It was Well, I was playing a lot of like FIFA 2002 at the time, I think I just lived off that. And I think that just seemed normal that we'd sign, you know, Brazilians and Argentinians in, in the Division 3 or whatever.
0: So, so for someone who hasn't read the book, how would you best describe it as, you know, as a selling point to someone?
1: Yeah, for someone who hasn't read the book, I've kind of... I grew up sort of until probably 2017 going to a lot of York matches, sort of gradually getting to the point where by the time I first got to London, it was like a massive part of my life, that, that National League season, when we'd just gone down in terms of going, yeah, basically every game that I could and it's about how you sort of like grow into a community in terms of as a football fan uh, and how that kind of often like provides something that you don't necessarily expect and then obviously for me York getting relegated out of the National League kind of created this big gap I suddenly didn't have I couldn't go as often so having sort of grown up reading sort of the York press every morning you'd have a look and you'd see like a more and more stories allocated to this Swedish football team led by Graham Potter and at first it's pretty annoying because you think oh they should be talking about York not some guy who's playing in the you know managing a team in the Swedish fourth division but gradually they sort of go up and up the leagues and me and another York fan based in London we ended up sort of following them because of that uh, Graham Potter and Jamie Hopcutt who Obviously, all York fans know about Jamie Hopcut because of his impact at the club. Obviously not. Um, he was <laughs> released as a academy player. But yeah, we sort of grew to follow this this Swedish team as well. So it's kind of just an ode about the underdog, which I think is all York fans that we're pretty familiar. And it's following them in their Europa League journey when they eventually sort of culminates in them playing Arsenal at the Emirates. And I won't tell you what happens. I mean, it is history. so. I'm sure people probably remember. But yeah, it's about a kind of here, there and everywhere, probably not the most structured book in the world, but we kind of go all across Europe and the stories that I encounter in terms of football agents and and people like that. And yeah, following them in their Europa League one and only season and Graham Potter and Jamie Hopka and all, all the characters that go along with them yeah
0: and, and, and there were some bits of the book as well that that read a little bit like uh, a bit of football history such as sort of Howard Kendall at Athletic Bilbao and I remember Howard Kendall sort of early 90s when when Everton was sort of struggling and I knew he'd been a successful manager in the 80s but I didn't really know the sort of side of him at, at, sort of in Spanish football and and the kind of how well regarded he is in in Spain and and you know that must have been quite a I presume you obviously didn't know that as well so that must have been quite interesting for you to sort of research that I'm and put it together in the book. Yeah, obviously
1: that's that's not a York City related story, but that's kind of the book. We kind of go off tangents a little bit. But yeah, so Howard Kendall, we just happened to, when we were in Bilbao, watching them play uh, Usterson's in the group stage, we wandered across this bar late at night trying to find just anywhere that was open and get there. And then it's kind of like this... You know, this sort of scene in a movie where there's some bright lights and then it's called the Kendall bar. And one of my mates was an Everton fan. So I knew a little bit about Howard Kendall. But then we heard a lot from some sort of middle aged blokes that were kind of reminiscing when we sort of asked them a few questions. And yeah, it's it's bizarre the way you, I'm sure any York fan that's gone to a random small little town has suddenly had these sort of stories that are just bizarre. But I think that's a lot about football and traveling to different places and chatting with different people. And yeah, it's a bizarre, bizarre world. But yeah, that's kind of how we get onto Howard Kendall moving from Everton to Athletic Bilbao. But yeah, just researching that story kind of just I kind of felt it was interesting. I wanted to include it because of because of who we'd spoken to at the time. I
0: mean the 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 rise of how how did you say you were pronouncing it again? Ustersons.
1: Usterson, but to be honest, I'm yeah, I'm from York, and (laughs) I don't swedish so you can call it what you want
0: the rise of him is just tremendous isn't it i mean to go through the divisions with sort of modest crowds wasn't it and i always sort of kept tabs on him as well because i used to work with jamie Hopcut. so i was a teaching assistant in the school first starting out after i'd left university and he he was in sort of year 10 i think remember him being a, a massive manchester united fan knew he was a good sort of footballer in in the school team but i kind of underestimated how how good a player he was and would go on to be but i mean that 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 team the achievement of winning promotion and winning the swedish cup and 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 i used to always sort of think well that's as far as they'll sort of go and but then to sort of beat galatasaray away and get clapped off by their supporters i mean it's just an incredible rise isn't it
1: yeah i mean it is like complete fairy tale stuff and yeah that is typical that york would release a, a player that has since gone on to play quite a lot of games in various top leagues across Europe in Jamie Hopka. I think David Stockdale kind of springs to mind a little bit, but yeah, just following them it is just for context. They went from the fourth division all the way up to the top division. And this isn't the fourth division in the, in England where that's, you know, that's York city in 2001. This is fourth division in Sweden where the equivalent is, it's not even Tagcaster Albion. It's like, a, it's that sort of level. And then to go all the way up, eventually win the Swedish cup. And then, not just get into the Europa League, but compete properly in the Europa League, get to the point where, I'm going to spoil it a little bit, but where they're not very far away from knocking Arsenal out of the Europa League, at the Emirates, yeah, it's a it's a proper fairy tale story. But yeah, I suppose as York fans, it was, it was quite nice to follow a sort of success story for a change.
0: Yeah, and and, and like you say, it, it's it's not just kind of you know you mentioned there about Sadcaster Albin's level, but it's not even done with sort of like a, a multi-millionaire, is it behind them where they've, they've plucked loads of the best players of the Swedish fourth division. They've they've plucked many players from sort of obscurity, haven't they? None more so than Jamie Hopcut, who. Like I say, I almost thought he was a decent player at school, but never sort of imagined he would go on to be part of a side that that would beat Arsenal at the Emirates. And it showed su- such resilience, someone like Jamie, to sort of go in search of his dream of being a pro footballer, you know, getting those setbacks released by York. I think he played a lot lower down than that as well, didn't he, in the non-league? And and I think it was just a chance, was it? it was just a chance sort of trial game that he played and then... All of a sudden, to to go to a, a new country and different culture, a new language it's, it's incredible to sort of bring players like him over to Sweden, sort of in chase of his dream.
1: We actually, and it's not included in the, the book just because it, it didn't really fit. But we actually met Jamie's mum at one point in Bilbao, and alongside meeting like other parents of different players, they were all kind of in a state where it was all just dreamland. All that, all of their, most of their sons had, had at one point been released from a big team in Europe or a small team in Europe. And the idea that they'd then go and play in the Europa League was just completely bonkers. So like you just saw, and they just played like it. They played like a team that everything was a bonus. They were, yeah, a very sort of humble team to watch. But they also had sort of nationalities from all across the world. I think, yeah, Iran, Iraq, uh, the Kormoros, obviously a few from England. Uh, There's a big Northeast connection. But yeah, Graham Potter had a vision for the club. They didn't have a lot of money, but yeah, and they eventually forced their way up. It's a sort of Roy Hodgson story, but harder than Roy Hodgson sort of 20 years later.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that northeast Connection. I, I presume you're referring to people like Curtis Edwards who you, you describe really well in, in the book about his career. I mean, he went from sort of playing for Thornaby, didn't he, to, to scoring against athletic Bilbao. I mean, it's an incredible story, not, not just of the team, but, but a lot of these individual players who, who probably never thought they were going to ever play in, you know, such stadiums like they have done. And, and at the levels that they have done.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, Curtis, we ended up meeting his brother and his. So his brother played with him at Fornaby. His dad was his coach at Fornaby. So yeah, playing it, I don't even think it's the Northern Premier League. I think it's the Northeast Counties League or something. But yeah, again, just knowing the right guy, he knew a guy called Brian Wake who knew who one way or another, through a couple of other people, eventually knew Graham Potter. And um, yeah, all these guys kind of given that second chance in Sweden. And a lot of them now have sort of Swedish wives. They live out there. They, they've they since gone on to play in the top leagues across Europe. An incredible bunch of stories. And there's another one which is yeah, not related to York, but there's a guy called Fuid Bachiru who's released from PSG. He ends up Going for a trial at Greenwich Morton playing in uh, in Morton, so not so we're sort of talking west of Glasgow right on the Firth of Clyde, ends up playing a hundred odd games for them, meets his Scottish wife is henceforth referred to as Fred for the rest of his life instead of Fuji Bashiru, and then has since gone on to you know play in the top leagues in europe and that's just that's just kind of one in a sort of ridiculous mix of different characters and stories given their second chance and really seizing it to an unfathomable sort of level to play yeah, to play in the Europa League.
0: And, and obviously, you know, Graham Potter's coaching methods and Schoeler sure made such a massive difference and improved these players from the levels they were playing at before. But they sort of did quite a lot of unconventional methods with sort of things like drama performances didn't they, and, and sort of build the team spirit was there anything else that, that when you're researching it and got more into it you were surprised at what they did and and how different it was to say what you'd heard about York City
1: yeah well he obviously Graham Potter obviously he says his biggest influence in management is Terry Dolan no that's obviously a joke but yeah I, I, I'm not sure who you could say Potter's biggest influence in management because what they ended up doing was pretty bonkers they had this thing called the the culture academy which was basically every season they'd have a couple of different tasks set to um to the players and that would be anything from like performing black swan to rapping on stage to yeah doing art poetry that sort of thing but you know obviously some players absolutely love that they're you know they're footballers some of them are exhibitionists Some of them really don't love that at all. I spoke to, there's a bit in the book about meeting an agent and it's just like, how do you sell a a football club to players that know that they're going to have to go and do some ballet on stage or something like that? But it was all about sort of getting the players to step outside their comfort zones or not take themselves that seriously and sort of work as a team. And I think ultimately that kind of showed on the pitch eventually. I'm not saying that York could do with implementing some of these methods but yeah he's probably going off into another country and having the opportunity to kind of have a bit of a fresh think about it all and yeah Graham Potter and it wasn't just him it was the chairman as well at the time a guy called Daniel Kinberg I'm sure Potter probably wouldn't have done it if he wasn't pressed to do it a little bit but yeah definitely some valid methods in the end
0: and as you kind of went on this you were almost on like a personal journey weren't you well you and your friend I wouldn't say switching your allegiances but but sort of following sons as closely as you did and when you were on that journey how how much did you start thinking about their results sort of over York City when when they were sort of having all the success
1: I've done a lot of podcasts since and whenever often people wish sons luck and I'll be honest I don't have any allegiance to sons. It really enjoy following them in the europa league this is sounding quite defensive i'm aware of that but (laughs) yeah i suppose you you just you do follow familiarity so if you're sort of you know connecting with that community a lot then you do naturally build up interest and it's like it's like anything when i I was most interested in york when i went the most like you know it becomes a bigger part of your life if you you enter it and allow it to become you know a big part of your life and um i don't think it ever got to the point where i was looking at ersterson's results over york City. I wouldn't have been able to tell you how they did in the league or anything like that but um yeah it definitely did uh form a an important part in uh, what i'm gonna say isn't meant to sound like a sob story like i'm aware that it's it's difficult so the book is kind of about a little bit like coming of age and trying to work out what you want to do when you're sort of in your early 20s and you know you go from being a, a kid that's really sort of like aspirational and has big dreams and then you you start working your 9 to 5 and it's it's suddenly not quite as exciting. Um so I don't I don't want to make out like life is like hard or difficult or anything but people have different challenges or whatever. And the book is kind of about football being able to provide something and some structure or some meaning that we don't really know why and we don't really know what we're looking for but it's kind of it could be Richard Brody's semi-final that goal in the second leg against Luton the toilet rolls coming on the pitch and you you're losing you're losing your mind and um two weeks before you're seeing them lose or whatever it's it's those brief moments of like absolute magic that kind of just make supporting or following a football team incredible and and exactly why we do it and a lot of the book as well is about how that's quite a personal thing so you you know it's hard to explain what it's like to follow York City to someone who doesn't follow York City or you you know what I mean in terms Mm. of these football clubs create these these weird things in our lives and and I I was just passionate about trying to share what that meant to me and hopefully what it means to a few other people as well. And, And
0: at what point when you were sort of following the fortune of erstesons did you think you know what i need to start writing this down or, or i could make this into a book at w- what point did you did you think about that
1: i never really thought about writing a book basically just a series of events that happened i was just like this is bizarre and there are too many weird stories and too many weird coincidences for me to sort of just not write something about it so i just started writing out a note when i was sort of hung over one day and I wrote maybe six, 700 words and it was meant to just be like a bit of a quick short story. But I read it out to a mate, he seemed to find it reasonably entertaining. So it just sort of accelerated. And I think you can probably see from the structure of the book a little bit, it probably wasn't anticipated that it would be like a, a full length manuscript at the start but yeah it's uh I just thought it was a story that was in the end a bit too good not to tell and I'd, I'd be annoyed at myself if I didn't write about it
0: and in terms of when when you're sort of in with that community and and watching the games and like you mentioned about being at the Emirates and stuff in terms of sort of chance how, how is it sort of following chance that a team does in a different country and, and I think there was a bit where you tried to translate it didn't you what some of their chants were
1: yeah, we were sort of just like trying to follow in terms of like general noises that they were making, which is difficult. A lot of the chants are the same, you know, the same tune that we might hear at a York match, but in Swedish. So we thought that we'd nailed one about one of their players called Fui Bashiro and we were belting it out. And it turned out that we were basically saying that this player was Graham Potter's husband and all the rest of it. And yeah, you can't really follow it, but there is one that we could follow, and that was they shout like OFK which is just Usterson's FK. But yeah, we, we struggled a little bit with the chance.
0: When you said do they do it to the normal sort of, tunes of english fans was there any sort of like shooting the scarborough scum did you was
1: there <laughs> any of that going on no nah, i think the closest we got was um we didn't really have a york equipment they didn't do the sort of russell pen we got a ballpoint we got a felt tip. i'd say they probably weren't as interesting as york chants but i couldn't understand them so maybe they maybe they were and, and, and
0: how different was it being in with sort of supporters of a different team of a different country how, how different was it being to say being on the long earth with york fans
1: yeah, well, I think Östersunds is like a bit, it's a bit of a different club because, as I said, it was in the fourth division. So we're talking crowds of like 300, originally 400, that moulds into six, 7,000 by the end of the Europa League journey. But I think the reality is that with York, no matter how low they got, they were still getting, you know, low 2000s. So there's always that sort of, there's, it's a pretty knowledgeable crowd with York. And, I'd say, you know, you recognise the same faces and with Östersunds, it's probably not quite as much like that because there are people that are more just there for the ride a little bit. I appreciate <laughs> that's ironic because I was one of them. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely different. There's definitely a different sort of Swedish football culture to to an English one. But I think if you're being brutally honest, it's because it's not quite as big a part of their lives as as it is to a lot of English football fans.
0: Yeah. And, and what was it like for you when you did sort of finally finish the book and you'd done all the proofreading and all that and sent it to publishers and, and then finally getting it in print? What, what what did it feel like when you got that back?
1: Like any sort of person trying to get a book published, I didn't get responses for for most and i kind of given up on it a little bit because it's it takes so much time to write it and then if you're spending hours and hours sending it to publishers and you're not getting any response whatsoever which is kind of what i got i didn't i wouldn't even get any feedback i wouldn't but then yeah i eventually found a a good football publisher which publishes a lot of books like this <laughs> called pitch and yeah to see it in print it was really cool just basically because it is a part of my life which um I can now look back on, and it's, in a way, it's a bit of a travelogue, a bit of a memoir. It's not a memoir because if it was, no one would want to read it. But you know what I mean. In terms of, there's bits which are quite personal to me at that time.
0: Absolutely, and, and kind of a few years on now from from their sort of success as the sons. Do, do you think sort of like history's been rewritten a little bit about Graham Potter, sort of from his Chelsea spell? And I kind of hope that it doesn't really define him because you look at what he did at that at Sons and, and even, you know, clubs in England as well. It, you know, it's nothing short of a miracle, really. I mean, to think that he started sort of just coaching at Leeds University, didn't he? It's a remarkable job that he, that he did.
1: Graham Potter's start is really interesting as well because, yeah, he was at Leeds Beckett. He was at Hull for a bit. But when he was at Leeds Beckett, he was getting a lot of guidance from a guy called Malcolm Brown and Tracy Neville, Neville's sister. And in terms of, like, a lot of top-level sports leadership, Uh, And he was just getting advice on how to sort of mentor people and develop sort of personal development. But yeah, I I definitely feel like we'll see him again. I don't know where we'll see him. I think uh, the reality is that he's kind of travelled around the world a lot. It was a big decision for them even to move to Sweden because his wife was the one that earned all the money. And he was going to basically say, oh, let's let's move to a different country and you basically pack up your bags. And they, they took a real chance to do that. And I think now that they've sort of been to yeah Swansea, then Brighton and then Chelsea... I think they're just having a bit of downtime and thinking about what fits best in terms of where they're going to live in the world or whatever. I think, unfortunately for us as York fans, it's probably out of sight that we might have Graham Potter. But I could see him heading to somewhere like Palace or West Ham if I was going to be a betting man next summer, I reckon.
0: Yeah, and I know he's, he's often linked with with clubs in other countries as well, isn't he? I know it's like Leon, I think we're heavily linked with him as well. And because of a job he did at Ursa that they sort of think he can kind of go to another country and, and immerse himself in another culture and, and be successful ultimately.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know that he turned down the Nice job. I think they obviously think that he can step outside of his comfort zone and he's willing to do that. But yeah, I think he's pretty aspirational in terms of the sort of jobs that he wants. I think at Chelsea it was yeah a bit of a hospital pass to be honest. I don't mean that was ever really going to be successful, but to be honest, the amount of money that he was getting paid to do it and the downside—I mean, you'd, you're always probably going to take that job, aren't you?
0: Yeah, and I, and I think as well that they, they offered him a six-year contract, didn't they? they? Promised him that he would be given time, and then after six months, parted ways with him, which which is you know disappointing from his point of view. Some of the other players that were playing. For us, the sons as well back then. So like I mentioned, Jamie Hopcourt, I think he's now playing in Finland, isn't he? Do you sort of keep tabs on on those players and see where they've sort of ended up and, and how they're doing? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I do sort of mention it a little bit in the book towards the end, but I mean, these things, football's players change so quickly, but yeah, they generally, in terms of people that have gone on and done quite a lot of stuff, there's a guy called Saman Godos who plays for Brentford. He doesn't really get much of a, he's always in the squad, but he doesn't really play that much. Then you got a guy called Ken Seema who became sort of quite famous last year because he did that interview with the, he's got quite a strong stutter, yeah. he plays for Watford. And then you've got sort of a lot, which in from the UK we wouldn't have heard of, but they're playing in sort of the top teams in Sweden or in Cyprus or, yeah, some in the MLS. And, yeah, they've all gone on to have pretty, pretty good Careers, yeah, at the sort of top level.
0: And, and I, I always sort of thought that Jamie Hockcott might end up back at York. I know he, he he played for Oldham, didn't he, a couple of seasons ago? And he, I think he's he's best friends with Michael Duckworth, who's you know one of York City's current players. And I've always thought that fairy tale might might come. You know, he might his career might go full circle, but I don't know whether that that'll happen now.
1: Yeah, I don't know whether it's personally. I don't know whether it's a fairy tale for him, like as brutal as that is for York. But yeah, you know, he got released at a young age and like with all due respect to York like gone on to play at a higher level it hasn't worked out when he came back and played for Oldham I think he just doesn't necessarily suit like in the English style of play so maybe like Gary Mills didn't actually make too much of a mistake I'm sure he he probably did to be honest but who knows? I think
0: think he was injured wasn't he quite a bit when he when he came back to Oldham I was often looking at whether he was in their team and sometimes he'd be out with various knocks so maybe it was just you know like you said, just destined not to, not to work out for him. But yeah, it's an interesting move for him, isn't it? To sort of, I think he played in Israel for a bit, then And now he's now he's in Finland. He's obviously again quite happy to go out of his comfort zone and and travel and play in these different countries.
1: Yeah, he's actually playing right now. He's playing in the the Ireland Islands, which is just some tiny little islands off Finland. Yeah, he's playing for the, the big team in there called IFK Mariahan. But yeah, he's he's been. I think he's played in the top leagues in five different countries, which I don't think you'd have ever bet on. When he was back, when he was getting released from York, but yeah, he's um, yeah Israel team called Gavia Hamadina. I'm sure he probably doesn't want to return there right now. But.
0: Sort of bringing it bringing it back to York City. Are, are you venturing to? We have obviously quite a lot of London games now. Given you've got a desk in East London, is that is that easier for you to now now see see York City?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I try and get to as many sort of London based or well just South based things as i can and parents still live up in york don't go to like nearly as many as i should do but yeah it's always nice to go back and just see sort of familiar faces and it's always the same people year on it it doesn't change yeah it always feels like whenever you go back that that uh, you know that community never changes and and it always makes me miss it more than anything because it's just like you miss those sort of little in jokes or the chants, or you feel you don't know that player quite as as well and like like any of these things familiarity makes it so much better but yeah try and get to as many games as i can
0: and sort of all time sort of looking at your your sort of favorite game you've ever been to york city favorite player you've ever ever seen
1: play for york mine would probably be like probably going to be sometime between sort of 2005 and 2012-ish because that was just i know that was the non-league sort of period but yeah that was my formative years watching york so a bit of a cult hero would be jimmy sangare I know he was only there for about a year or eighteen months, just because of just because he was absolutely nuts. and And he was actually quite decent. He used to bring the ball out of the back pretty well. Scored the odd important goal. I know he scored an equaliser against Stevenage. Yeah. If you go on YouTube, you can see that scissor kick. Like I've, I, I since went back to sort of when I was researching the book, but it's it's nuts. He gets like so far off the ground and just scissor kicks it. And he's meant to be a centre back. He just he just wasn't really very conventional. But then yeah, the first first grade of Clayton Donaldson I think that he was a pretty unstoppable and he was just you just don't often see players that will just sort of pick the ball up at the halfway line and just run and then just yeah we we saw that quite a lot with Donaldson and yeah and then the big games for me are like very random ones they're like when, when they were you know tense I think we played Ultrium at one point in the season where we went up in the playoff no we didn't go up it was 2009-2010 I think we And I think all we did was get us, we either won 2-1 or it was one all. It was just one of those games where, you know, you're not going to get anything and then you just get it right at the death. And I remember when we went, we saw the FA Trophy, that run. Uh, I don't know if you remember the very early on, I think it was against Hinckley United when John Chalino got that last minute goal to sort of um, get us through to the next round. Being at that game and just thinking, why am I here? This is is a pointless game. This is so frustrating. And then all you need is one little change at the end. And then suddenly, oh, yeah that was brilliant
0: so the the book has obviously been out quite a while now but still available i imagine for people to buy and what's the best way of, of getting hold of it can you is it sort of book you can get in waterstones or is it something you have to buy online
1: yeah so you can uh you can get it at sort of wh smith's waterstones i think the latest that i checked it's not in york waterstones it has been at points but you can order it in or you can just get it off amazon i think there's a reasonable discount on there at the moment i'm sure if you wait a couple of months it'll be free but um (laughs) no for, for now there's a decent discount but yeah amazon wh smiths waterstones and yeah appreciate anyone that gets a copy but yeah it's just sharing a story about york and sharing a story about Ustersons. and if you buy one great if you don't it doesn't make a difference to me, so yeah, really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you coming onto the podcast and, and talking about it. Like I say, it was a, I, I I'm a really poor reader. I mean, I'm, I'm a teacher, and I really should read far more than I do. Sort of trying to encourage kids with improve their literacy skills. And I think I, I literally read like one book a year, and it's when I'm on holiday. And and yours was a book of choice, so so you know, thank you for writing it and providing me with that kind of book that I could have in the, in the summer.
1: Well, yeah, sorry for ruining your holiday, but um, <laughs> I appreciate you having a read. Yeah, thanks again. Brilliant, done.
0: So, there you go, first episode of Your Hospital Ball of 2024. And, like I mentioned earlier, lots more to come as well. There's going to be at least six episodes of the new series, potentially another three or four on top of that. I'm still waiting to hear back on a few um, kind of contacts who have said they would do it, but it's just kind of trying to fit it all in. Whatever it is, I've set myself a deadline at the end of Jam to record them and edit them and stuff. Um, So, they should be out um, in the start of Feb. Uh, as a minimum so that that's coming up Series 11 it includes um, goes back as far as the 80s with Derek Hood but then also uh, Peter Jamieson, who played obviously in the National League North playoff winning side uh, which is a cracking interview in fact I'm really proud of all of them so I'm, I'm really hoping that people will enjoy them when they all come out also got a live event happening on the 28th of January uh, which is a Sunday, it's 7pm at Hansley Sports Bar, so that is going to be kind of a live podcast with uh, legend David McGurk, Radio York summariser and former player Ian Dunn, we've also got a quiz night as part of it as well, lots of sort of merchandise and stuff to, to win, so hopefully people can come along to that and support. Um, as ever, if you want to help the podcast, um, please do put comments out on X or Facebook or wherever you, you kind of see see kind of things that we've posted, reviews are really really helpful so if you've got if you listen on itunes apple Podcasts, please leave a review please subscribe to us give us a rating on spotify and that sort of thing all those sort of things really do help um kind of get the word out there about the podcast so if you can do any of us it would be greatly appreciated as would any donations like i've mentioned many times in the past we are a charity it is Your Hospital Radio Your Hospital Radio is now celebrating its 60th year this year which is an incredible effort there's so many fantastic volunteers that, that have, um, have been involved with Hospital Radio over the years and, and still today so there's lots of kind of celebration events happening over the year which I'll, I'll kind of point people to and like I said donations uh, are really gratefully received our JustGiving page is justgivingcom forward slash Your Hospital Radio so, lots of things to come. Please stay tuned. Early fair, by promise, Series 11 will be out there. And hopefully people enjoy it as much as they have the previous series.